Mildly entertaining, somewhat obscure guests, relatively interesting topics, semi-professional production quality, reasonably well-informed commentary, a great value for the money, hundreds of fans all around the world. It's the Starting Strength Gyms Podcast with your host, Ray Gillenwater. Today's guest is Mark Diffley, starting strength coach. He's an engineer. He's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He also knows how to kick and punch, former MMA fighter, uh, former firefighter. Mark's a shit. You should get to know Mark. <laughs> uh, we like Mark. Mark. A little jack of all trades, right? <laughs> yeah, Mark single-handedly took this Austin gym and turned the thing around and... Uh, it's got to be one of the best performing gyms in the in the entire franchise. It probably is the best performing gym in terms of net profitability, and that is all a testament to your work, Mark. Oh, I appreciate that's that's a not single handedly. That's a team above and below. You guys gave me the uh, the opportunities to make this work, and then I had a great team under me with all my uh, apprentices um, and coaches, coaching staff. So I definitely couldn't have done it without any of them. Hell yeah. And um, just in general, Mark's a guy that I think you could learn some things from. Because uh, he's kind of like a Nick Delgadillo in a sense, you know. You'll you'll find a lot of people in the starting strength community that enjoy doing hard things, enjoy learning things, um, are willing to make themselves uncomfortable, uncomfortable, are willing to be novices. Um, and if you do that enough uh, with humility and with intelligence and with the right work ethic, what you'll find is that you become an expert in a whole bunch of stuff. So Mark is an expert in helping people get stronger. He's an expert in teaching other people to help people get stronger. And he's an expert in a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, to be a, a no shit bona fide engineer is a big deal. Um, and to be an Alliance black belt is a big fucking deal. So Mark's accomplished a bunch. I like Mark, I like talking to Mark. Uh, so this is a fun thing for me. We just get to have a conversation for about an hour. So feel oh, yeah. free to listen in. Um, Mark, let's start. Let's start at the top, man. So, you're a talented guy. You could be doing anything. You you've proven to yourself and to everybody that you could do whatever you set your mind to. So, why have you chosen to spend your productive time at Starting Strength Austin? Well, like I said, it ended up. Uh, you guys were a great opportunity for it, but it it really came down to uh, uh, coaching was something that I found rewarding and interactive. Um, when I first got out of engineering, you know, I really enjoyed teaching, uh, learning all the equations, all the physics, all that kind of stuff. And then I got to my job in, you know, the real world, and it was uh, sitting in a cubicle, doing fairly monotonous and mindless work. You know, and um, I'm sure there's a part of there paying my dues, but it just it never it never clicked right. Uh, so I discovered I discovered CrossFit and then eventually starting strength and uh, tried to make a coaching run out of that. You know about 10 years ago um, and realized I'm not the heavy entrepreneur type, the, the go out and hustle and grind and, and get every client you can. You're um, smarter than that. Are you? <laughs> no, it just, it just wasn't, doesn't fit my personality. I think, right. Like yeah. I don't, and it's whatever, risky, that, whatever that little, because engineers yeah, tend that, to evaluate risk and look at the, oh, the, the numerical statistical probability of things. And <laughs> <laughs> entrepreneurship oh, yeah. I've is, got to, if it works, that's Nicola, great, right? but it probably won't, you know? <laughs> right. I'm way too risk averse and probably from engineering. And if not, you know, a little bit of nurture and nature there somewhere. But yeah, but yeah, I, um, 
So I ended up at the fire department, which kind of scratched that itch on uh, serving people, helping and like finding like uh, immediate like reward for what you do, right? Obviously, you know, somebody calls 911, they're having a bad day. So we're out there, you know, fixing that problem and getting things done for them. But I still had that, that coaching part was still a very uh, uh, big part, big goal, big thing I wanted to do. And I want to figure out a way to make it work. So when you guys came around um, early on, you know, I was a skeptic, right? I'd, I'd seen... By that point, was it 2018 when you announced the uh, the gyms? Yep, summer 18. No, I've been in the starting track community for six years or so at that point, right? So I'd seen a lot of people come and go, a lot of big ideas come and go, right? And so it was, hey, let, you know, I'm not sure where this is going to go, but we'll watch it. We'll see where it is and just kind of quietly lurk on the sidelines. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know you. I'd never met you, never met the, the team. I just knew, you know. Rip and Nick and a couple of people from back in the day. So it was like, let's just, you know, wait and see. I was doing a little bit of coaching on the side, still enjoying the fire department. And uh, yeah, I remember in uh, 2020, it was, uh, you guys, Nick sent out an email saying, hey, we're looking for coaches in X, Y, and Z locations. And I, I forget what, where I finally like, was like, okay, let's let's deep dive into this. But I decided, you know, hey, let me just throw it out there and email Nick and uh, let's get a conversation started and see where it goes. And, you know, we went from what, mid mid 2020 july or august something like that and we talked we met in december at the uh uh seminar that year and then i came out and visited austin a bit never been here never never set foot in austin until december of 20. and so it's kind of everything kind of kept falling in place and decided it was an opportunity i couldn't pass up right i got to do uh what i wanted to do what i set out originally post engineering to do and was able to figure out how to make it work with a uh in an environment that more suited my personality i think your instincts on risk are, uh, are are quite good because not only are you not the entrepreneur type, but you're also uh, not one to jump into something that sounds great but is unproven. A sure. huge mistake inexperienced investors make. And if you are deciding to go work for a company that's new, you're you're investing. You're taking a risk. Biggest mistake that that people make in that situation is they uh, they believe the hype. They they look at the idea. They oh, it makes perfect sense. So therefore, it's going to work. And right, everyone else can make perfect sense too, right? Yeah. Theories are relevant. <laughs> you know, we need to see this. The hypothesis, rather, is irrelevant. We need to prove this thing in the real world before we can be sure it's going to work. So I think your hesitation was uh, was wise. You know, um, I'm curious, man. As you're talking about the story and how things unfolded, were you at all taken aback at how confident I was that you would be good at this job? In other words, like I didn't know you. Um, but I, but I was already a big supporter of yours. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And I remember, yeah, I probably remember thinking like, is, is this guy sure? Or is he just, you know, jerking my chain to make sure I feel good about it. Right. Like, and I'm, I'm probably way more critical of myself than I necessarily need to be. I, I tell Jen all the time, I've got imposter syndrome almost every time we all get together with, you know, within the other coaches. And I think, uh, um, you know, so that one's, that's hard to control, but I, but I do think that it's a, uh, People have told me before, like, if you get imposter syndrome, that just means you give a shit, right? Like, you're worried about being able to be, you know, good at what you do, and you want to be, you want to do a good, good job. So, well, how about this? If you're not going for, if if you if you avoid imposter syndrome, or you never experience imposter syndrome, you're not hitting new PRs in your professional Absolutely. life, right? Because it's the same, it's more, the same, it's the same anxiety, yeah. it's the same insecurity, the same fear as when you're getting under a heavy set of squats, whether it's a one RM or a five RM or whatever, you know, sure. you're like, uh, is, <laughs> am I the guy that's going to put this weight up? Like, is that, <laughs> is sure, this new yeah. PR? Um, 
is this PR going to go right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I just feel like if you're not making yourself constantly uncomfortable in life and all the things that are important to you, you're not learning as quickly as you could be. No. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a skill that, uh, it goes away quick too, right? If you get complacent and in, in a comfort zone, right? It's easy. It's comfy. Hence the term, right? And then if you don't get used to doing that again, it takes a little bit to push back out of, right? And uh, even like I said, making the jump from the fire department to here, I really enjoyed the fire department. That was a fun job. That was a good job. And it was one of those where I just needed a, uh, you know, this was a big jump and I needed a few things to line up for me. I needed a few pushes from some key people in my life. And just, you know, just as a, you know, it's going to be all right if you do this, you know? And then, you know, you, I know it's going to be all right somewhere in there, but the panic button, the, you know, survival instinct doesn't do that, you know? Absolutely. And then you've, you've played your cards, right? You've got a, you've got a decent salary. You're welcome to share that with the group if you'd like. Um, you also are now an owner. So you've, you've, uh, demonstrated to be so valuable to the business that you've been, uh, you've been jumped in as a shareholder. Uh, we actually can't jump you in cause you can probably beat us up, but, uh, you know, figuratively, um, but there's enough of you. There's always enough of you. Yeah. Right? Good yeah. point. Strength in numbers. Um, and then now I believe you guys are looking to open a second gym in Austin. Can you tell me what the plan is and, and where you guys are at at the moment? Sure. We, um, Actually, we, we just remodeled part of our existing gym. Uh, Jen was here this past week, and we got through a, what was supposed to be a four-day project, turned into about a week-and-a-half project. But they did a kick-ass job updating the gym, bringing it up to, to current spec, changing some of the, the things that we had uh, set up in the back to make it look really sharp, give us a little more room in our office, or our converted changing room to office, I should say. But it's uh, more usable for us. And then the bathroom's been updated. The, the platform's been updated. So it looks great. Um, and then the next step, yes, is hopefully a second location. We've got a, we've got a pretty busy gym. We've got almost 100 members, I believe, at the last count. Uh, a little over that with uh, almost 120 with our online clients and our nutrition clients. But as far as in-gym members, we're about 100, I believe. So we've been looking uh, somewhat casually at a second location since uh, early in the summer when we were at our peak. Yeah, because your capacity um, is 96 members, unless you add additional sessions. You guys have had to add additional sessions because you have, uh, you have, um, you you've got a waiting list. You're full, right? Yeah, we run we run seven classes a day right now, um, and then a couple weekend classes. And I think we're three times a week. I think it's 104 is the total number um, of people we can handle. So that's you know, but we've got a couple two time a week, couple one time a week that kind of balance it up. But we were. Um, especially a couple months ago, we were pretty damn close to full in every class. We got a couple, couple limited spots right now, and then uh, you know we're, we'll be back to full again. So it's been going great. Um, Austin, uh, for those not familiar, tends to have a north and south divided by the Colorado River. So the second location is going to be south of the south of the river, um, and that seems to be a, a artificial boundary for a lot of people to travel with with traffic and things like that. That seems to be the the line in the sand people have. Um, so we'll have one down south to be able to offer out to more people down there. Uh, I figure that will take, um, we're still looking at a location, still trying to find a space right now. Uh, some of that is is above my head and understanding in the commercial real estate market, but you know, God bless Jen for what she's doing to help us out with it. Um, and then once we get that open, I think about you know maybe a third of our current clientele will move south because it's closer to them. That'll give us a good you know starting momentum for the South gym and then the, the open up a bunch of slots for the North one. Nice. Nice. So. Yeah. In planting no timeline for it. Yeah. Cause it's the all gym to the new gym is useful. It's been done in Katy after the Houston gym opened. It's been done in Plano after the Dallas gym opened. Um, when somebody wants to sign up for the gym, so let's say you've got a open house 
on a Saturday mm -hmm. and someone's like, okay, cool. Yeah, this is a great fit for me. What, what, uh, how do I sign up? What <laughs> do you basically just have like, oh, well, we only have three sessions available. So you have to pick <laughs> from one of these three. Is that how it works? Cause you guys are so full or what do you, what do you do? Do you have I, waiting lists? What's the, so I've, I've got a waiting list option there built in, you know, we have it built in the website. So we'll, we've got the couple iPads at the gym. We'll show them what's available. We'll show them the wait list. And then I usually, we usually will strongly suggest, you know, Hey, take what you can right now and get in the gym, start training. Even if it's only two days a week, you know, do what you can. And then we can put you on the wait list also for whatever class you do want, you know, cause. And what do you charge for membership there? We are currently at 405 for three times a week. And on January 15th, we're actually going to increase that to 455. Yeah. So we're, we're bumping all our rates up. Um, it's about time we're full enough. So I think it'll be a, uh, a good move. So, what what explain for the people out there that that this isn't clicking for why would somebody spend four hundred and five dollars a month <laughs> to go to a gym and and that be such a common thing that you're you're almost totally sold out and you've got waiting lists for most of your sessions what what is sure why is that well i'm amazed that it seems to be we either have people that immediately like Wow, that's a lot. Or if people that don't bat an eye and just sign right up, there's there doesn't seem to be the middle ground with it. But um, you know, we've done a good job, I think, breaking it down. You know, you you've got the advertising. We talk about uh, about thirty one dollars a session, right? And so uh, monthly membership thirty one dollars a session. But if you really break that down to a per hour basis, you're paying about twenty bucks an hour, right? To get or something by that, SSC. right? And or and even any personal trainer is going to cost you sixty, seventy, or more, right? It's it's on an hourly basis, you know, it, it looks big up front. And I think when you really break it down to those small numbers, even beyond the per session on down to the hourly, it really, uh, it really shows how much of a value you actually get. Yep. And I think, um, I know we have a local gym here that charges, I believe 60 or 70 for a half hour session. You know, right. what, what can you get done in, what can you get done in a half hour? Right. I mean, they've got, they've got their thing and I'm sure they're good at it, but like the way our program works, you want that 90 minutes. You might not want it early on. You might not think you need it, but, a month or two and everybody, everybody needs it. And it really shows the value and it really shows the work you get from it at that time. Who's your customer? What, if you had to break down your uh, primary customer archetypes for me, what, how do you describe your, your number one target demographic there? Most of our demographic is, uh, mid to upper thirties, probably, you know, they're in their professional life. They're usually working in tech. We have a very tech heavy, uh, uh, demographic in Austin. They spend a lot of hours at the computer, right? So a lot of them have this, you know, sitting at a keyboard, shrug shoulder thing. So thoracic extension is always the first challenge in almost any of our uh, uh, lifters, but they- are um, my posture real quick, hold on. Right, yeah, so let's step back again. Uh, so, but they, they're like that. A lot of them, um, you know, probably haven't done a ton of physical things. They've done some sports way back, but they haven't, you know, it's been years since they probably done, done uh, you know, they're not, we don't get many jujitsu guys walking in that have trained and done something for years and years and years. So it's always an interesting experience when the, the psycholo psychological part of this training starts to hit that first time that weight gets heavy, right? And then it's a fun game to convince them like, hey man, next time's only five more pounds, you know? And I bet you can't tell the difference. It's gonna feel like that again. And then it's going to feel like that the next time too. And you do that for a couple of weeks and suddenly you've added 50 pounds to the bar and didn't even realize it. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's going to take eating, sleeping, doing all these other things that you probably never thought about before because you don't have to do those 
you know, at work for work. Work is easy. Like with job work, anyhow. No. Have you put much thought into um into the idea that there are lots of people out there, especially tech workers, who completely ignore their physical existence and um, and are, are damn near middle aged by the time they start sure. paying attention to it. And you you get to show them for the first time how to move, um, how mm -hmm. to get better, how to feel better, how to become more capable, how to reconnect with reality. Have you put much thought into that? I'm curious what your perspective is. Um, I mean, I've seen it happen plenty of times where that, that little spark hits, right? We've got guys that, you know, have come in and, you know, not the most coordinated, obviously, right? Because they haven't had to do much physical activity when they sit, when you sit at a computer most of your day. And it, some take a little bit of massaging, you know, both <laughs> physically getting them into position sometimes and a lot of psychological massaging to get to work. But man, when it, when it clicks, like it's fun to watch, right? It's um, now, you know, the, the tough part is how many of them want to go, how far down the rabbit hole do all of them want to go, but even getting them a little bit more confident and a little bit, you know, they, you see them start to enjoy walking in there. There's this like, it's easy when they first sign up, right? And they kind of come in and, you know, whatever, blah, blah. And then it gets a little hard and you can see that look in their face every time they got to walk up to the bar. And then it's like, you know, that little last part of the LP or that middle part of the LP, if you can get them through that, you know, and move them on to the next part, even if it's, you know, a little bit earlier than, than I would probably like, you know, then I would want to grind through a little bit, but if you can get them through that and do the next part, then you watch them just kind of take off and keep enjoying it. So it's, it's fun. Like that's the, um, the, definitely the rewarding part. How many people from the Austin gym watch my podcast? Cause I'm about to talk a little bit of shit. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't have a clue. I've, I'm sure Gina watches it. She's a, she's one of our watches, everything starting strength related. So nice. So then I'm going to ask you a question. And Gene, I hope this doesn't bother you. Um, <laughs> who are the softest members in the nation? It's either got to be you guys, Boston, or or Beaverton. <laughs> uh, I don't know enough about Beaverton. Um, our guys, like I said, most of them, most people coming from a tech world, coming this being the first thing they do, it's definitely a, uh, an uphill battle with it, right? When, when the... Uh, two, three weeks in, it feels like it's the hardest thing they've ever done. That's a, that we can only do so much preparing for that before we get to it, right? Like we try, we start in the intro, we explain how the process works. As soon as it starts slowing down a little bit, you know, it becomes a heavy uh, psychological game. And there are people we have to like, you know, it feels like we have to convince to get under the bar for every set for like yeah. weeks, right? Yeah. And it's, it's kind of one of those like, hey, trust us, trust us. It's gonna, you know, it's, this is worth it. It's gonna get better. It's gonna, it's not going to be as hard as you think it is, right? It's not going to feel as heavy. Just start moving, and I guarantee it'll move. Um, and so it's always interesting. I, I think people, you know, they look at the guys in the gym here, especially, you know, when Aaron was here. Aaron was a giant dude in the gym, right? Giant presence, both physically and, uh, you know, socially. And they think like, oh, this doesn't, you know, I'm I'm not built like that. You know, even I'm not, and you know, things like that. Or uh, even with myself, like I'm, you know, five eight, one eighty five, one ninety. I'm probably still underweight by by rip standards. But, you know, they look at me and it's like, I'm fit. I look like I know what I'm doing. And, oh, I, you know, this isn't for me. I'm not, I'm not looking like that. And I don't think people realize, like, I started this at 155, 160 pounds as a novice, right? I was, I was a featherweight in jiu-jitsu. That's 154 pounds with the gi on, right? Like, I was tiny. I was way adverse to putting on weight, you know. Um, and so I've been there. I've been through that grind. I've hit the wall. 
I know what it's like to have to eat all the time. And it's one of those where if you can harness that for just that three, four months, understand that this is a temporary thing. It's always going to be hard, but it's going to be way more rewarding if you can put these parts of it on to make, make it worth their while. And I think, you know, I tried it and I've been there. I've done it. I've seen it. I know what it feels like. And I, I'm not sure they necessarily believe me sometimes, but I try to try to convince them of that. Luckily, I've got a, a apprentice, David, who started with us, started at 135 pounds, refused to eat, crashed his LP, you know, and then eventually figured out that, oh, if he eats, this actually gets better. And it actually becomes fun. Yeah. Right. It becomes, it, it's rewarding and fun when you're actually recovering appropriately. Then you can see where it takes off. So he's he's been a good uh, uh, speaker for that part, too, also, just because he's got pictures. He's got pictures in the gym just last year, you know, just the year before being being tiny, you know, and saying, like, look, like I. I wasted my time for the first time in months because I didn't want to eat. And then when I ate, it got better. And, you know, now he's, he's almost an adult male. He, he's every once in a while floats over that adult male line and he looks, he looks good. He's lifting more than I am right now. And he's, he's putting work in. So. Hell yeah, man. Well, I can understand, uh, <clears throat> I can understand how people think, because I remember before I became stronger and heavier than I was, you know, 80 pounds of body weight to go or whatever. I'm sitting at about 250 right now up from less than 170. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I, I just thought that you were born strong when I looked yeah. at, when I looked at giant dudes, it's like, you know, I look at half Thor. I'm like, well, it's just, yeah. you know, just born. He was already way. built that way. Just right. Like, he just got a little bit stronger along yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I just spoke to some prospects out of Philadelphia this morning on a zoom call. And, uh, one of the guys is a, is a six foot six, um, competitive squash player and uh, oh, wow. he just looking at him on the zoom call just looks like a normal guy he's 270 good lord he's 270 big boy yeah <laughs> he's just but he's uh you know he's a he's a thick strong dense boned muscular dude um yeah and i i just i just think it's interesting i wonder i wonder what it's going to take how big this brand is going to have to get for the average male to understand that you can become a much bigger, better, stronger, better looking, more performant, more capable version of yourself. If you would just do something three days a week for about mm -hmm. nine months and not miss a workout. Without $12,000 in a growth hormone a month, right? <laughs> Actually, you don't fucking need steroids, guys. <laughs> right. You just need barbells, technique, and a, and a good program. Now, if you, if you do steroids, yeah. you'll get stronger and your aesthetics will improve, but you don't need them and we don't condone yeah. them. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, I was also curious, this gal, uh, Gina, that you mentioned. Yeah. So so Jen mentioned her to me. Tell, tell the audience about Gina. Gina is fantastic, but she is a, uh, a great speaker, a great proponent for the gym. She's uh, She came in. Right after I right after I started, so I started in March of twenty one uh, officially at Stone Strength Austin. She joined shortly thereafter, and could barely uh, barely squat to the bench. Was so nervous about squatting, you know, sitting down and losing balance. She had two knee replacements, and was so worried about balance and so worried about muscle control. But she knew this is what she needed to do. So she came in. We had her, you know, start to the bench. Start with what range of motion she had. Start gradually increasing that over time. Um, got the bar on her back got it a little further down her back, right? Got her off the SSB and onto a regular bar, got her Safety in you know, the right position. You, I'm sorry. People, yeah. Yeah. Safety squat bar, little handles here. Got her to the bar on her back, was able to get it you know, a little bit lower in a position, a little bit lower. Um, 
and we had her squat into a box uh, for a little bit. And I can't remember. She's been, she's been to two seminars and a, uh, uh, self-sufficient lifter course up at Wichita Falls. You know, that's how much she loves going to this thing. Loves going to visiting Rip and Nick and giving them a hard time. What did she uh, think of she Rip? Was out, oh, you know, she loves him. He's, he, <laughs> they're, they're well antagonistic of each other in, in, the, in the best way possible, right? So, but man, I'm, old I, enough, uh, you, you old guys are awesome. It's, it's, not about, it's not about getting stronger, right? It's about, it's about the, uh, putting as much weight as she can and then, and then, improving her quality of life, right? For sure, for sure. Yeah, and you, guys, uh, you guys in Austin are the anomalies because most gyms, that's a demographic. I mean, I think, uh, I'm assuming she's post-menopause, but I, but I think mm-hmm. post-menopausal women are the future of the brand. I mean, as far as most bang for your buck and like most profound quality of life enhancements, the... Um, Absolutely. When you're a young guy and, and, uh, you know, you, you feel like shit and you look like shit. Um, it's definitely better to address that. And that's important. And, uh, that's why you and I are here, but mm-hmm. man, if you can hardly move around, uh, right. and, and, and you can reverse that in the, in well into the second half of your life, that's, uh, that's powerful stuff. And, and Absolutely. just think, just think what percentage of women in that demographic know that that's possible. Point zero 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 one percent you know <laughs> but so, it's getting better yeah. you know they they seem to realize uh, either through the internet or maybe a few qual- you know doctors that seem to know like resistance training is the way to fight you know fight osteopenia and bone density issues right it's it's uh we've had a few people that a number of older women that come in for that reason and they do get to see the results they want right you know and even Gina now she's squatting you know well I think over 100 pounds now without a box, you know, Nick and Rip took that away from her when she wasn't looking one time up there and did the hard part for me. Right. You know, we, we work with these clients who get them to trust us and then it's hard to like pull a box out from under them, but being up at Rip's for a weekend, you know, he doesn't know her anything. There it goes, you know, ripped off the bandaid. <laughs> he gets to be the asshole, right? Yep. That's uh that's his preferred mode of operation. So you did him a favor. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what have you done since Aaron has left? Because Aaron is, uh, like you said, a big personality and a big guy, and I know he was he's just such a he's such a magnetic presence, and I know that he attracts people to the gym. He attracted people to the gym. Not that you need to attract more people to the gym because you guys are full, but what do you do in that's his how, absence? That's what do you do for gym there, number two? You know? How do you fill that that gap? So, um, well, for one, we don't mention his name at the gym anymore. If anybody says it, we usually just answer with who, you know. We, we, we keep we keep a list of names that are no longer mentionable. Um, he who shall not be named. He's the latest. Um, but no, we've got we had a I got a great group coming up behind him. Jeff uh, Bronis has been a great uh, great coach. He's he pretty much took over Aaron's classes. He'd already been apprenticing within those classes, so we had a good rapport with the uh, with the members. So it was a nice a nice easy transition we made. I've got like I said, I've got David um, who's coming along and almost ready to coach too uh, on his own. And then I've, I've been lucky and gotten uh, another three apprentices in the last month and a half. So I'm positioning us so that when we have that second gym open, if the timing all all lines up and all these guys are uh, chomping at the bit and at the right uh, right time and place, they're going to have spots to coach. They're going to have opportunities. So awesome. Trying to thread a needle real nice, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not catastrophic. You can lose key people and and still survive. Right. That's just one of the challenges of leadership right the more um, the more if i can keep all these guys and it, everything works perfectly then we we fit plenty of classes across the board and none of us get stretched too thin if it goes the other way you know we'll we'll make deal we've had to do that a couple times here between all the uh staffing changes over over the uh, early part there so it's we'll get the job done 
Jen observed one of your meetings recently, and she was uh, she was gushing about how impressed she was with how you handled it. And if I'm trying to remember, but I think I think the thing that really impressed her was that you had your guys. Um, oh, what was it? Was it role playing? Um, I know you were. Oh, we were presenting stuff. What What are you doing? We, it was if it was this last week that I had them presenting some information. Presenting, so. that's what it was. To, for for the yeah. people that are within the starting strength gym system, or for those that want to join us eventually, can you break down for us exactly what you've done? Because I hope I hope people copy that, and I hope you share that as broadly as possible. Sure, absolutely. So uh, we do a weekly meeting every Wednesday morning. So it's kind of middle of the week. It just fit the schedule right. So I've, we get all the coaches together. We usually go through a quick like, what's good, what's bad, what do you need. Um, part from each of the main coaches, especially the ones that, you know, that are running classes, check in, you know, obviously on the progress, um, prep course stuff for my apprentices, make sure they're, they're getting their things done. See if they need any more help with that. Uh, and then we usually have some sort of topic for the day or thing we're working on. Uh, sometimes it's the lifts, you know, we'll go through the, we'll go through the teaching progression. Um, we'll kind of crawl, walk, run through the progressions. Then we'll start going through, uh, looking at, uh, how to troubleshoot them, you know, common, common flaws, common things you'll see what cues work, what cues don't, you know, trying to get them more in the position of actually cueing instead of just identifying, right? It's easy to be like, oh, he doesn't have his his uh, knees out enough, right? But that's not what we want. We want you to recognize that and immediately be like, hey, shove your knees out, you know? it's, it's Recognize it's it and up. fix it before the rep's over. That's right. Oh, fixing yeah. that, getting that coach's eye and then what the next steps are with it even, as quick as we can. So we'll do that once in a while. And then other times we, I've been experimenting with uh, having them um, – presenting them have a problem and giving them a couple of weeks to come back with the report. So similar to what they have to do on the prep course, but it might just be something we're working on in the gym. Um, and actually this last couple have been from um, either one of Nick's, uh, one of Nick's monthly meetings or maybe at the conference. I can't remember when it came up, but it was, you know, challenging your guys to become subject matter experts on, on mm. things. So we've been working on the squat a lot lately. I've got a bunch of early uh, apprentices, the squats, the first thing they go over in the prep course. So I picked a couple different issues um, in the squat. You know, we have, I had one guy that worked, we had him work on the upper body, right? So sore shoulders, sore wrists, sore elbows in the squat. What's the common causes? What's the, uh, what are the, the root causes of it? You know, usually technical issues. What do we do about it? How do we fix, what do we address in the technique? What do we address in the grip? Things like that. And then if it gets bad enough, where do we go there? Mm. And then the other one was, um, the other guy that was there that day was lower body. So it was hips. You know, if I got creaky hips, I got sore knees, I got sore hamstrings. What? You know, what are the potential things they could be doing to cause it? And I, and I have them, you know, stick to our literature, go through the starting strength literature, go through the videos, go through the, the forum, find these situations, find what the general explanation is and see if you can come back and not just regurgitate it, but but think through it, right? So they'll come back, they'll present what they found. And then we'll just sit there, uh, myself and my other, my other SSC coaches, Andrea, and then Jeff, who's because he's got a good coaching experience, we'll sit there and start to pick apart, you know, little pieces of what they said, right? We'll, we'll play gotcha questions a little bit. We'll start asking, if they say something, we'll ask a leading question and response. You know, I know, I know what I want to hear them say. So I'll ask them something open-ended and see, you know, let them drown a little bit and then give them a little bit more information, see if they get it and give them a little bit more, you know? So we'll sit there and make them think through these things, make them start practicing now uh, what they're going to need to know when they get up there for the platform and certainly when they get up there for the oral board, right? Yeah, yeah and the results speak yeah. for themselves. I mean... You know the turnaround you, you did over there is incredible, and uh, you were the only variable that changed, right? And then you you put in new people, you developed them. The how you develop them and the amount of care and time you put into it is clear based on what you just said. 
So I hope you uh, I hope you start to take more of a leadership role in within the franchise company, and um, and express to others what you think is ideal and what's worked well for you. Because man, I think what you'd find if you um, sat shoulder to shoulder with a dozen other head coach, gym manager, people in the system is that you'd be at the top of the heap. You're right up there with uh, with the JD Shipley, um, Brent Carter, all these other guys who are you know from the early days, and they're not yeah, just great coaches, but they're also great operators, and they've got they've got all the skills, you know. So absolutely, hey, it's interesting. Like, you know, I feel like the two of them when I when I look at what they do and when I hear and see what they do, kind of you know from afar, they are very uh, systems oriented, very uh, rigid, not rigid, but like they've got their plan, their things like that. It, as much as I'm an engineer, I'm also when I do this, I feel like I'm very intuitive with some of it. So I'm good. Uh, there, I'm sure there's things I can learn from them with it, but I feel like a lot of this is kind of, this feels right. This feels like something good to do. And we're going to see where, where it goes kind of piece. You know, Look at how, uh, how much of a mature adult yeah. you've become, man. Most engineers don't even know what the hell that means. You can't feel your <laughs> oh, way through things. You got to quantify everything. That's right. You know, <laughs> the you know, the I'm, worst I'm much, people to be in relationships with, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm much more the analytic type than the, uh, than the pre-design type, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, yeah. I, I, my brain um, goes pure analytical too. And then, and then uh, over the past couple of years, I realized I've been missing out on so much of, of what life has to offer by not entertaining things that are not quantifiable as much as I could and dismissing them because they, I perceive yeah. them as less valuable because they're less tangible. What a gigantic mistake that is. So much of the joy <laughs> in life is in the stuff that can hardly be defined, let alone, let alone quantified, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think if you over make this overly rigid, like it's not, it's not fun for anybody. And I, I'm not to say that the other, I'm sure the other guys have a blast with their stuff, but this is how it feels like it works in a groove with me. And it seems, it seems to be doing all right with it. Right. Obviously our, our results are speaking. All right. When guys ask, you know, I think you've asked at the conference a couple of times, like, Hey, what, you know, what are you guys doing there? Sometimes it's, I don't know. I don't have a clue. We just, we roll with it. Things seem to be going good. We just kind of, you know, improvise and adapt as we need to and generally keep things in a good, you know, everything in a good trend. But I think it comes to the coaching staff and the community you can build, right? If you get everybody having fun, everybody having a good time, you know, I think that's, Everything else takes care of itself. Everybody cheers each other on. It's it's a good thing. Yeah. We just had our, uh, our year-end holiday party. We went to a Brazilian local Brazilian steakhouse here. You know, all you can eat meat. You know, it's always a good opportunity to show everybody. You know how you're supposed to eat, how you're supposed to uh, really take down food. But it's it's great. And we had, um, <laughs> you know, so we've got about about 100 engine members, and I booked a 60-person room for this. Uh, last year we had about 35 people. The first time we did it. This time I booked a 30-person room. And took a gamble because it had, they had a room minimum, right? So if I didn't get that sixty, you know, mm. Jen and I were gonna have to have a discussion about where that uh, uh, it was a five thousand dollar minimum or something like that, right? So it was like if we don't hit that, what do we do? You know, I was like, ah, we'll be fine, we'll be fine, you know. And leading up to it, it was we were at thirty something, then we we're at about forty, and I knew like if we booked the forty person room, we'd have forty five people sign up, right? But if I book the sixty, it's gonna be it's gonna be a gamble. But we had I think sixty people sign up and about. 55 show up a couple of people had things happen right and it was fantastic it was a great time nick and jen both got to come down i was you know hoping you'd come down but i know you got a you got a, the pregnant wife at home so it makes it a little more of a challenge but yeah no traveling uh, right now, man i don't next want next time right next when, time when i'm a but, few states away right yeah. but it was a blast and it's like it's just a cool thing we try we're going to try to do every year now because it's you know it's big months of state or right? you can't go wrong with that i love churrascarias 
There's one in town yeah. near Texas de Brazil. Their service is so terrible that it's bad enough to not go there, but it's a shame because <laughs> the food's fantastic and price isn't bad. And then if you're in a city with a Fogo de Chao, that place is great, but yeah. more oh, of a special a local... occasion type spot, unless you're a rich guy, you know? Yeah, this this is a local one that's like, you know, Fogo level, but I think it's a better service, nicer place, you know, yeah. still same price, about 60 bucks. Um, it's fantastic. I miss, I miss some of the smaller ones in Atlanta. When I was in Atlanta, there's a big... Uh, Brazilian population just outside of Atlanta, and there were the the cheap lunch style ones, right? So you go for 15, 20 bucks. You know, they don't bring it out on swords, and it's more of a, you know, diner type atmosphere, but you go, it's the same food, same taste. So I really miss that part. Hell yeah. I, I, did I tell you we just sold a five pack in Atlanta? I did hear that. Yes, that's going to yeah. be awesome. Yeah. It's I think that five good. pack will slowly expand too. That's a, that's a big metro if they can get everything to click. Oh yeah, I mean ten plus gyms there. I think is a no brainer. Yeah, well, it's a big metro, and people have to drive, which means they don't like to drive. Right. You know, there's no there's no public transport there, so that's going to be metro's got six million people. Like you're going to have they're going to have fun with that if it all takes off, right? Great ownership group too, yeah. and I know Adam yeah. Martin is uh, experiencing what you experienced when you were brand new with this thing. So if you want to yeah. contact him and show some support, he'd appreciate oh. it. Yeah, he he came down um, right before he started coaching up in uh, in Cincinnati there, so he's. He, I've worked with him a couple of times. He's more than welcome to give me a shot and I'll give him a call when he, uh, if he ever needs anything. And whether it's with Atlanta specifically or, you know, doing this, I'm happy to, always happy to help. Tell me more about your members. Yeah. There are fan, absolute fanatical members at these gyms. Yes. Um, I think, I think some of the most fanatical have been out of Austin though. Uh, the things people have offered to do at that gym um, in the early days to help out. Mm -hmm. um, selflessly, the the number of members there that have wanted to buy the gym, that have wanted to open up a gym next door, that have you know, yep. um, tell tell me about the genotypes. Tell me some more stories like that of people that are uh, just sure. fully bought in and and uh, and love what we do and and the perfect type of member. So you know, I've obviously got Gina who loves everything about what we do here. She's constantly raving about it, constantly posting, telling her friends, goes to Wichita Falls for things, right? Uh, so I spent the seminar twice. We've got older members. We've got uh, Sean and Mike and a couple other guys who were longtime members since you know before it was a uh, franchise gym. They were affiliate guys, and you know they they helped out any way they could back then and back when it first became a franchise. I was thinking of Sean um, when I was explaining what yeah. I was trying to to explain. Yeah, I think they had they had a couple issues going early on, and he stepped in to help out in you know any way he could. Yeah, I think Mike has done a little guy. bit also. So yeah, everybody, they're all great people. And Mike is one, Mike is by far our strongest guy in the gym. He's, uh, you know, got a five, five, 10 squat, five, 15 squat. right now I think, um, pulling about 500 also pressing a little over two. And, uh, I don't know if you've seen on the leaderboard lately, I had to put a little context by his name and I put, you know, his, his age and body weight there. So he's, uh, 47 and about 192 pounds. Cause Everybody else on that board is, you know, I know well over 200 and probably in their 20s or 30s. So yeah, yeah, I, I saw that up there and I thought that was the member being cheeky, but I'm, I'm glad you were involved. Oh, no, no, that, yeah. that, that was me involved in, you know, helping him do that one because I, he's, he's a beast. Um, we just added, Absolutely. it used to be just top five per sex across each of the four primary lifts, not including the clean. Um, and then we just expanded it to top eight. And uh, what, how many spots does, occupy, does Austin occupy in the top eight? Do you know? Well, I, in the top eight, I'm not sure because it's, it's too new and I haven't memorized the last three, but we've got uh, two lifters in the top five in the, in the men's group. We've got Mike get, uh, on his squat, and then I've got uh, uh, Michael Monroe on the press. And I think he's got a 240-something press or maybe a little bit more than that. And he's top two or three on the press right now. Yeah. So 
And you guys, when you um, do things, you make them a lot of fun and you execute really well. I mean, the, uh, the day of the deadlift, um, is a good time. And it's something that uh, the other gyms are, are now taking on. And starting next year, we're going to do national, uh, per lift contests, you know, once a quarter, yeah. maybe once every three months, uh, we'll probably skip the bench. I hope we don't do the bench. Who cares about the bench? Oh, but, the uh, bench got a decent turnout. Ours. We've, we've been doing that, um, quarterly since I got here. We, they were doing day of the deadlift every year and I kind of implemented, well, let's do, Let's do one and a quarter. We've got four big lifts on the board. Let's do one and a quarter and have some fun with it. So do me a favor, uh, the man. The bench actually gets more, no, got ahead, more response in the press. Go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, talk, talk to Lacey, if you don't mind, our marketing gal. And give Absolutely. her your input. Because she's in the she's in the middle of shaping this right now for the whole franchise. So give her give your input on what you think is important, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Right, we can we can go through that. Like I said, it's been um it's interesting which ones get a big turnout and which don't. And we've tried a couple different uh scheduling variations on it so that's been a little bit of a learning experience with it nice. we tried to do it in class a couple times and it got a little a little hectic on saturdays we tried to do it as a um like thursday friday saturday so everybody in their class did it and that kind of took away from like the special part of it yeah yeah so um last year we did it a day of the deadlift on its own day and that worked really well so we did that again this year and i think we're gonna do that with the rest lifts too kind of make it make it their own like sunday afternoon couple hours come on in and try to set a PR. So, yeah. Hey, the press is the one that nobody likes. That's the tough part. If there's anything else you want to talk about, Austin gym wise, uh, feel free to, to mention whatever you want to mention, but otherwise I want to start asking you some questions about martial arts. Sure. Um, let me see what, what if I get other things with Austin real quick. Um, man, it's been, it's been fun. Like I think I got really lucky when I got here because and I know things weren't going great, but they had enough people to still have that critical mass. It does seem like like the gyms need a a certain number, like, almost like a nuclear reaction, right? You need a certain amount of material there for things to start growing. And I think we were we were right on the cusp of that, and it just took some steadying out and letting things kind of settle, and then and then it went right. You got a good we had a good staff, had good things like that. So I think um, for the other gyms that are going and are you know a little bit in you know where is this going? Where are we? Where are we at? You know, just keep keep it steady, keep making it fun. And it's going to, it's, you know, I didn't have to slug through the early part, but I, I know that it's going to feel like a damn war for those first, you know, 40, 50 members, but there's some, some number, probably around 50 or 60 that like enough of the classes are full. They start becoming fun. When people walk in and visit the gym, they see a vibe there. And so it's, once you get to that, then I think it's just making sure you got a good, good culture and letting things go from there. Each group has its own energy. You walk in the door and you have a feeling, a feeling that, Absolutely. that is not describable. It just is is based on the energy and the people in the room, um, yeah. and I don't I can't recall the last time I walked into a starting strength gym and haven't had anything but a positive feeling when uh, absolutely when the people in there are lifting and the coaches are supporting, and then I'm coaching once a week at Boise. For any of you guys watching, if you ever are in Boise, drop me a line. You can come by. I don't charge for my session. I just do it for free because when I when I end up charging for coaching, I, I like it less. Um, but Thursdays at two forty five p.m. every week, so. See you there. Um, That's cool. Let me talk to you about martial arts, man. Not so much because Absolutely. I think the audience is going to love it, but just because I like talking to you about martial arts. So um, you're <laughs> oh, yeah. a jiu-jitsu guy. You're a Muay Thai guy. You've done MMA. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how strength has uh, influenced, changed, um, whatever word you want to use, your your game as a martial artist. And then and then I'll tell you how it's, what it's done for me. Sure. Well, I, uh, I did Thai boxing first. And so that was um, early in my 147-pound days, right? I was fighting at 147 in, in Thai boxing. had a, about six amateur fights, five or six, I can't remember. Um, 
and I was small. I was in college or in grad school actually at the time and uh, didn't think anything about strength. Right? I just wanted to be small and fast. And it's it's tough in that sport. I mean, you've been there, right? Length, lanky and long is the is the key to it, not key, but the perceived best shape for that sport and for jujitsu, right? Hey, if your it's, weapon can hit me when mine can't hit you, then you have an advantage. John Jones right. is a specimen, but the the one thing that people overlook, there's just one variable. He has a seven wingspan. foot wingspan, <laughs> right? Right. So yeah, agreed. And he moves it faster than any of us can, right? So, you know, but it, so I think it would have been a really hard sell um, for me to lift when I was tie boxing, for me to want to put on weight, particularly because of that length with that jab and, and being able to reach things. You know? and, and I'm probably wrong in that a little bit. I'm sure Rip would disagree, but it, it, that was a hard thing to get, a hard truth to kind of reconcile between the two, right? You know, uh, but tie boxing was a blast, man. I loved doing that. Um, don't miss it. I don't miss getting kicked in the head. I don't miss getting punched in the head or kicked in the legs. But, or how about uh, just being in pain constantly, like from head to toe? Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching yeah. this documentary the other day, and the the guy who was had you know broken English and apparently he's like, Muay Thai is pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sure is. I remember sparring on, sparring on Saturdays. Uh, by the way, I shout out Peoria Athletic Club in Peoria, Illinois. That's where I, uh, that's where I started all this. Did my kickboxing there. Ryan Peoria, like Western coach. Illinois. Like, like yeah, Peoria next. Yeah, not near Macomb's where Western is, right? But yeah, yeah hour away is uh, Peoria, Illinois. Oh, right? how weird is that? Huh? Yeah. So I went, I went there, started tie boxing my sophomore year of college and, uh, Ryan Blackerby ran the Peoria athletic club there. And he, uh, he was awesome. Great, great tie boxing instructor still is. Um, and then got into jujitsu there a little bit. I had, a a, he might've been a purple belt at the time under Megaton and Jack McVicker. Um, his name's Brad Paplow. He's actually, I think he's hospitalized right now. He's not doing too well with some uh, health issues, but I hope he, uh, hope he comes around, but I started that a little bit back then. And uh, then moved to Atlanta and started doing jujitsu, right? And so, um, jujitsu was still. Uh, man, I just I got really I got really interested in jujitsu. Uh, about the time I moved, I knew about Alliance in Atlanta when I got there, so I knew that was where I was going to go train. They had a tie boxing program there, but it was kind of uh, not consistent. Really, it's not their so main focus. It, yeah, it's well, like I mean, if we—it's really like a, when we when we offer people conditioning. Yeah, we'll throw you on the bike, but you know, strength's kind of right. a thing, you know. But, and they had a, and that's that's it. Like they had a really really high class world level kickboxer as an instructor, and it just because it wasn't the gym's main focus, it wasn't that coach's main focus there. So it it, it just turned into like a little bit of a mess. So I wasn't I was living far enough away that it was like okay, if I'm only going to drive up here, if I'm going to drive an hour up here. I'm going to do jujitsu because that's where that's where the money is here. That's where that's. You know, at that time, it was one of the top five gyms in the U.S. Jiu-Jitsu was still kind of growing near its peak where it is now. and um, But it was probably a top five gym in the country at that point. So I was getting a lot of quality instruction in a, in a very short time. It was fantastic. But same thing in jiu-jitsu. Like, it's a long and lean seems to be the perceived uh, ideal body type for it, right? You know, you, you look at some of the, the heavier guys, and you know that's not true. In there, but, he, but even Bushasha and Hidalfo and them are – very long, Hodger very Gracie. strong. My instructor, yeah, Hodger, my, my uh, instructor before I left Atlanta was Leo Nogueira. He's same thing, six four or so, two two fifteen or so, giant, giant men, right? But they're strong as shit too, sure. right? You know, so, yeah. so it was hard. It was another hard one when I um when I got into starting strength to be like, I don't want to be a featherweight. I don't want to be one forty seven anymore, right? It was like, man, I'm gonna give up a lot of length, right? Like this is, it's good to be strong, but it's it's it was intimidating to give up. Um, 
you know, sticking about five, six, seven inches in height because that's leg length. Yeah. And in a guard, that's a that's a dangerous spot. You know, that's a hard spot to be when you got a guy with super long legs in the guard. He's going to triangle. He's going to stretch you out. He's going to do all these things. So it was it was a tough decision. And you know, from a like, oh, I don't you know, this seems this doesn't seem like it's right. But I, I remember the first time I went to the seminar in 2011. I you know wasn't bought in on on the exact process and was certainly wasn't really didn't realize the extent of how much I didn't know how to coach, right? I've been coaching CrossFit and did all that. Oh, how much you didn't know about and, strength. That's the epiphany that I had. Oh, yeah. for sure. Everything, yeah. right? Like across the board. Yeah. Um, and just bombed it horribly. I hadn't been coaching a lot at that point um, regularly. So I, I went back and studied and hustled, did everything I couldn't pass it the next year. You know, I had put on 30 pounds before I went back, which, you know, probably didn't hurt. Right. So... Uh, but my jujitsu took, you know, it took a dip for a while. I had to, I had to figure out a new game. You know, fortunately, I wasn't like a flexible 147 pounder, so it wasn't like I had to like, I wasn't losing flexibility to gain strength. I just was stronger in, in the same, you know, body type. So it, it, it changed some things. But the really cool thing was, man, pressure passing became fun, mm. right? Like I got to lay on people and now and drive my hips in, and now I'm now I'm 30 pounds heavier doing it, and it's it's a blast, right? I can you can use that leverage, and there were guys in my gym that you know, immediately like what you know what the hell have you been doing? You know, I told you Gigi tapped me from pressure, right? Oh yeah, did you? You went yeah. on train with him? So, yeah. I'm so not, Gigi I'm not that. Uh, is Gigi the founder of Alliance? Gigi is one of the three founders. So there's okay. Jacare, who is my instructor in Atlanta. There's Fabio Grigel. Wait, who is, is Jacare Ronaldo Souza or a different Jacare? Different Jacare. This okay. is the older Jacare. Okay. So Jacare is a whole Gracie black belt. He's, he moved to Atlanta in 96 and started the uh, alliance there. But he started this team with, with uh, Fabio Grigel, who runs the South Paulo School, and Gigi, who's up in Boise now. But he also ran the uh, Rio School for a long time. And how, they have created some Gigi? monster champions. How old Gigi's is Gigi? Gigi's got to be late 50s, early 60s. I don't know off the top of my head. So I've wanna... met him a handful of times, and I don't know if he'd know me. I don't know if he saw me, but... I just want to paint a picture for you guys that are watching. So I'm, I'm at six foot two, 250 pounds, reasonably strong white belt. Um, Gigi is, he's, he's an older guy. He, when he walks around, he's not fully upright. He's, he's hobbling yeah. a little bit. And then he's he wanted to roll with yeah. me. So I'm like, well, you know, uh, when I, when I roll, when I roll with the higher belts, I'm doing my best to, uh, now that I'm a little more experienced, I'm doing my best to, uh, just play the technical game so I can learn something. Because what's the point of trying to fight a guy that can kick your ass? It's like, you're not learning yeah. anything, right? So with him, I'm just taking my time, going slow. And just the the ease of his ability to, oh, to yeah. get me into the exact position. Because he's what, a coral belt? Yeah, so he's been a black belt for 30 years now, yeah. something like that. It's it's silly. The ease in which he moved me around. And then I I got tapped by him in a way that I've never been tapped by anybody. He's on top of me in side control. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I feel like my ribs are just going to, like, literally thought my ribs were going to break. And so Oof. I tapped. And then uh, I think he got some satisfaction out of that. And he does it all the time. Sure. <laughs> and I'm not even sure how he did it. I know his fist was yeah. involved somehow. He, like, twisted his fist into me and then cranked down, extended his chest. And just, I mean, it felt, it felt like injury was about to happen if I didn't tap. So I tapped. <laughs> what in the hell? This old man just kicked my ass. <laughs> Have you been smothered choked by the gi yet? Um... Is the smother choke when like the geese kind of loose over the guy's back and head and, and just kind of like puts it over? No, your mouth no. I mean, literally, like, like they're just pressuring down and mount, and the gee the gee is in your face, and you're. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. End up I've had panic that. tapping from that. But the, yeah. the defense is yeah. to turn your head, isn't it? Until they 
hold you in position and do it anyhow. Until they prevent you turning like, your head. Yeah. I, I've been, right, I've, been know, I've, I've been, I've uh, been suffocated with the gi, but yeah. I've never tapped from it. Cause I guess the guy didn't yeah. have that level of skill, but no, it's, it's one of those where I know, and I guess I'm admitting to it now publicly on a wide range of podcasts, but it, it happens. Right. And it's, I've had a few instructors that love to do that and love to look at you afterwards. Right. And it, like, Hey, why did you talk to that for it? It's like, you know, why, you know, you, <laughs> Cause you had me dead to rights fucker. You know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we had a pretty wild well, session the other night at a uh, self-reliant jujitsu, the, the local school here. I'll have the owner on at some point, Andrew Thomas. He's a world champion. Uh, oh, yeah. and, uh, we were, we were wrapping up the case study cause there's a local, there's a local black belt who's kind of recreational, but he competes, he, he, he trains with the competition team. So he goes hard and he's good. He's not like one sure. of those black belts. who's like, oh, you shouldn't be a black, he's a, he's a good black belt. Um, <laughs> Not when he when he fights the world champion, it, it's you can see the difference in levels. But he's he's a good black belt. Sure. So we're doing this case study on him. We we put him through the program for eight months. He was you know mostly consistent. Maybe maybe went to eighty percent of his sessions. Diet was yeah not ideal. Recovery not ideal. No, but even with all that, that, I interviewed <laughs> Andrew um, at his school, and he uh, he's like, yeah, Eric's jujitsu game is significantly better in the past eight months. His pressure, his control. Uh, he's a different. He's you know he's a different player now, um, and uh, it's funny because we set up this rivalry between this guy Eric, the black belt, and this kid Cash. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with Cash? Cash Burgos. I don't think so. Cash maybe about, maybe is picture, so you know but... the Rotolo brothers and uh, absolutely. Yeah. And do you know Cole? Is the name Cole ring a bell? Yeah, Abate so, or whatever his name is. Cole yeah. Abate. So Ka Cash is. Yeah. Um, in Colabate's shadow, man. I hope Cash doesn't watch this. This might piss him off. Um, but but Colabate is the kid who's just out, outside of Cash's reach, right? Um, so Cash would lose to to, to be that young again, right? Cash is a world beater. He's nasty when he when he so as a blue belt, right? A, a blue belt at sixteen right. or seventeen by age, by age, not by skill level. Yeah, right, right. Uh, he went up against yeah. this guy Eric uh, for the first shoot, and he tapped Eric three times in one five minute round. Uh, he he's nasty, man. He can he can tap me in about thirty seconds. Um, yeah, and he's violent. They grew up playing this, you know. what I mean, they yeah, they, yeah. they learned it while they were bendy, right? They yep. didn't have mileage. Still is bendy, eighteen <laughs> years old. Yeah, um, and yeah. mean <laughs> and aggressive and athletic. <laughs> uh, so he uh, he he ends up rolling with with Eric this past uh, this past week. We're filming this in December of twenty twenty two, and um, it was basically a stalemate. It's the two-factor yeah. model of sports performance. It's uh, absolutely. It's you know you you can once you get past the point of diminishing returns in any physical activity, whether you're trying to get stronger or becoming a better you know ballerina, each each uh, little gain that you make will take more time and will be more difficult to accrue. And so when absolutely. you get to black belt status, where you're making progress as a as a practitioner so slowly because you've already gathered up all those easy gains. What's the fastest way to get better at jujitsu? Getting stronger. Get stronger. Getting stronger. Yeah. So, well, um, we we hope to send why, that message. Why do we, why do they have to test for why do they have to test for drugs at, at black belt worlds? Because the black belts why, know. Why, you're why do they why do they not test for why but, do they not test for drugs at ADCC? Right. Right. I mean, right. The, yeah, because everybody in jujitsu, you know, might say, "Oh, it's technique. You want to be long and lean, this and that." And at the same time, they're on steroids. Okay, that's the case. Why are you on steroids? Are steroids for cardio? I mean, you know, yeah, to an extent. 
but they're really for strength. It helps the recovery, but yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's, it's yeah, strength. When technique is equal, then you have to start looking at the outside factors, right? So if you assume at the black belt level, at the elite black belt level, technique is more or less equal, then it's going to come down to those outside variables, right? Some of them you can control and some you can't, right? You can't control your athleticism, but you can control your strength. And it's the same argument with, we use for, for the Olympic lifts, right? So so why guys, is it some of these guys can be stronger why is it mr mark diffley that you run a starting strength gym in austin right next door to john donaher and his crew of world beaters and then donaher is on you know rogan's podcast talking about how he's not aware of any strength program that can be applied um, consistently and reliably to a jiu-jitsu athlete what in the hell is going on there man and how do we solve this problem you know it's, I don't know, because I think there's, that's a tough question, right? You think it's just, a, it should just be a, a conversation, but there's a whole lot of what I think is best, what they think is best and what reality is, right? Sure, it's, sure. it's trying to convince, convince that part. I think, uh, I think Gordon Ryan gave a interview one time talking about, I mean, this is me playing game of telephone because I didn't hear, that, hear it directly, but talking about how we, um, he doesn't like training legs because he wants his legs to be loose and mobile and uh, be able to flow through things. So he trains upper body where you need to squeeze. And, you know, I'm assuming it's more of a functional thing, but it's, you know, I don't know. I think it's it's something that we should be able to close that gap on a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah, once I, we get the, this case study out, we'll, uh, we'll send Donaher a video. And then we'll send him a copy of the blue book. And for those of you that don't yeah. that don't know who John Donaher is, he's famous for the Donaher Death Squad. He um, completely changed the no gi jujitsu game with his leg attack system. Um, he he created some of the most uh, advanced, um, innovative, dominant competitors in the history of the sport. The current guy on his roster, Gordon Ryan, is uh, I love dominant athletes. Like uh, an athlete that's so good, he takes all the other people that are best in the world and makes them look like they're amateurs. Yeah. That there's he nothing more exciting watching, than right? sports. Yeah. I, I even like that in non-combat sports, but when it happens <laughs> in combat sports, it's so thrilling, you know. Yeah. So if you guys want to watch history unfold with this brand new sport that's going to be a global phenomenon, um, jujitsu is growing. Gordon Ryan's the king. He's so much fun to watch. Um, he was a, he was a, a skinny lanky guy. He got stronger yeah. with steroids and bodybuilding exercises. Yeah. Um, he put a lot of weight on very quick and still trained jiu-jitsu at a high level, right? I mean, right, that's, right. So we know, we know. And you can just look yeah. at his physique. That's not a natural physique. Well, you look at his Instagram. He doesn't exactly deny it, right? He doesn't sure. come out and say it, but he's played enough uh, comments in there to strongly suggest, right? Yeah. He put one today being in front of the, U uh, the UFC uh, drug testing poster of some kind over there and was laughing about it. So, <laughs> But it's, you know, it, it's weird, like, some of that I think is the recovery from training, right? So we know they take it for that. We know they take it to help get stronger. Um, but I wonder if our program just recovery resources is intimidating, right? They, they, it's a lack of understanding of the two-factor model and how to apply it appropriately for that sport, right? So it's it's jamming people into, jamming people into the starting strength mold, the, you know, the by-the-book mold without understanding how to apply it to certain things. Yeah. And I think there's there's probably some middle ground there that's the appropriate way to do it, right? Not not everybody's going to local generic general strength people come in and run it three times a week. Yep. Your elite athletes, you know, they might run it three days a week for uh, to get the movement patterns done, and then it might be you know every third day or fourth day or whatever. It's going to change their yeah change the way they, they design it. But George St. Pierre's coach out of TriStar up there in Canada, 
really bright guy, really thoughtful guy. Had George doing the compound barbell exercises, um, but maybe just yeah. one top set, right? Um, yeah. I can tell you from personal experience that starting strength is not conducive to a Muay Thai training camp. It's just they're, yeah. they're, they're a Muay Thai training camp absolutely exhausts all of your recovery resources. I'm only talking from the experience yeah. of someone who's done this way, yeah. without drugs. Um, uh, and jujitsu ju is similar. Jujitsu is similar. Um, but I think a little bit less demanding because in, 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 I'm not, I'm not necessarily condoning this, but I'm just telling you the way it is. If you go to a, a Thai training camp or a U.S. training camp that tries to be as Thai as possible, you might do a five mile run and yeah. then a warm up, shadow boxing, rounds, bag work, pad work, drilling, and then sparring. Three hours, yeah. who knows how many calories burned. Um, the amount of, of times you've jumped up in the air using your calves, moving around, running, you know, tens of oh, thousands of reps. Right? Yeah. Extremely yeah. fatiguing. Um, you cannot do starting strength while you're doing that. Um, you can still lift. You can still lift. Yeah. And you can still probably make some progress. But you need to understand programming and understand uh, application of stress in order to find a way to make progress without overstressing the trainee. Yeah. And, and those type of personalities are always going to go as hard as they can, right? Those coachable athletes are going to drive themselves into it. How I, I did that over and over. And I'm, I still don't have the programming figured out and I'm, and I'm dumb enough to just keep, you know, all right, let's just add five pounds. All right. That didn't work. Let's back off a little bit. Let's run it up again. Right. You know, let's try to see what happens. So, um, I'm so incapable oh, of doing my own programming because, uh, oh, no. I, I'm sure you suffer from the same thing. I mean, if you're a knucklehead, you're a knucklehead, right? You're, you're, <laughs> so yeah. I, I have, I have, uh, I've always paid for a coach and Will Morris is my yeah. coach at the moment. And as far as taking an old beat up guy and I'm, I'm not old, but my body's got some miles on it and sure. uh, making me feel good about my training without hurting me and uh, getting me some progress over time. Um, it's a really good balance. Yeah. I've, I've got a you're bunch gonna be of, your, you're going to be your own man. You know, I'm sure you feel oh, yeah. the same way. Mileage, mileage, mileage. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to be your own worst enemy or you're going to be your, your own worst critic, right? You're going to either too far off the gas or too far on it. You know, it's always better to have an objective opinion, right? And the more they know about what they're, uh, what you're doing contextually too, you know, the more it helps too, right? So Will's got a ton of experience with that. We've got a lot of guys that do jujitsu that, you know, if program from them, I, you know, actually, uh, JD just asked me to program for him as he's getting into jujitsu. Shipley? So he's like, hey, I want to be able, yeah. Oh, cool. Holy shit. Yeah. That's so terrifying. Is, JD's monstrous. He's right, a former right. collegiate rugby player. He's probably 280 pounds and he's my height. <laughs> yeah. But he's a fish out of water in jujitsu right now. So he's sure. like, man, I, I can't recover, you know, from my lifts and I want to be able to do both. And I was like, well, this is welcome to being a white belt, right? Sure. Like this is, this is survival mode and trying to efficiently survive before. Right. And then you can slow it down and try to shift from there. So, and if you're already wow. strong as hell, um, you may just want to hold on to as much of that as possible and get the idea of setting PRs out of your mind if you're yeah. going to dedicate a bunch of your your recovery resources to learning this new skill. And that's okay. What's not okay is if you try to do it all and then uh, right. you suffer the consequences, you know? Right. And I'm, and I'm sure half the damage I've got in my shoulders and hips and stuff is from just years of overuse, trying to do everything all at once, trying yep. to, yep. you know, sling things too hard. So Oh, I was going hard. I was going really hard. Uh, just, just, uh, uh, fight camp mentality, um, do or die, yeah. wh whatever it takes for years and years and years and years. And then I spoke to this guy, Nate Corbett, who's a world champion Muay Thai 
a competitor out of um, out of Australia because he's a guest coach at he was a guest coach at the Ruka Gym in Costa Mesa, California. Now he's uh, a guest coach at my my coach's new gym called Rising Suns Muay Thai. If you're in Orange County, California, that's the the most legit Muay Thai you can get by far. Um, and he and I are sitting over dinner once, and um, I was telling him how how shitty I'm feeling, and he goes, "You know, you only get one set of tires, mate." Yeah. Like, <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I should start to moderate my uh, my training stress. You know. Um, yeah, I I get it. You know, I think I, I for a while I was when I was really really trying to get strong. Um, I had to learn to do things seasonally. You know, I had to learn. All right, this is going to be my lifting season. Then this is going to be my jujitsu season, and that seemed to be a good a good balance. Right? I had a coach at the time, which which helped out with that. Yep. Um, and then, you know, for a couple of years, man, I just racked up too many miles and, and lifting stopped becoming fun. It was, oh, yeah. it was a, yeah, it was like, you know, it felt like it was, um, an exercise and pain tolerance instead yeah. of a training routine. Right. So it just, it, I just ended up, you know, falling off for a long time. It's probably, uh, uh, 2019 or so right before, right before I got into all the gym stuff, I was a brown belt. I was training a lot of jujitsu. I was still having fun with that, but I had, but the lifting just, you know, it, it, took a back seat and I remember I remember being uh getting ready for Masters Worlds and I and I sat there and I was like, God, if I can't be strong, I have no business being 195 pounds. Right. So I was like, let me see, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go up too much higher. I'm gonna go up guys that are stronger at 195. And if if I'm bouncing into a wall every time I'm training here because I just my hips hurt, my shoulders hurt, I can't I can't make something happen. Let me uh let me back this off. So I did a little experiment and I dropped all the way down to 160 pounds. I went back down to lightweight, um, did a really smooth cut, felt great. But, um, you know, we're talking about the difference when I was, when I got strong, what happened with my jujitsu? Well, the opposite happened when I got weak. Yeah. My entire game evaporated. All the things that I could do, like where I had pressure, where I had my hips and you know, all those things. And I was doing them at 190 pounds. When I tried to do them at 160 pounds to so the guys that were 200 pounds, suddenly it was, uh, I didn't have that same effect anymore. So it was, inter- it was an interesting, like backwards slide, not necessarily a performance. I had to make an adjustment, but just an interesting uh, thing I didn't realize would be such a uh, big deal. Yeah. And then when I got to the competition, it was all right. Like I was going up against guys my size. I wasn't that concerned about it, but it was interesting with my training partners, how I suddenly I was like, Oh, I don't have this push and this leverage that I used to because I'm 30 pounds lighter and probably lost some decent muscle mass in the process. Size and strength matters. What do you know? Yeah. You know, well, let's leave it at that, man, because I could talk to you for hours about martial Absolutely. arts. Absolutely, we can keep going. <laughs> and uh, and I'd like to, by the way, if you ever want to come out to Boise, we'll hang out on the patio. And uh... yeah, I want I want to get a uh, I'm going to try to get coordinate a camp with uh, with John up there. I think that'll be a good excuse to come up and we can do some jujitsu on the side. And I just got through how to all the logistics that that entails. You know. Yeah, yeah, do so. do it, man. I'll uh, I'll thank you for all of your contributions with a nice steak. We'll have some conversations. We'll <laughs> roll some jujitsu. We'll lift some weights. It'll be a good time. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Well, definitely. Thanks for the time today, man. And thanks for all you've done. Um, I've kissed your ass enough, so we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there, but it's been, it's been really great watching you work and, uh, and I appreciate your, everything you've done for starting strength Austin and for the franchise company. Well, thank you, man. Thank you for the opportunity, uh, both, you know, speaking today and then or rambling today and then, uh, let me do this and, you know, thanks for giving me a great gym to kind of, you know, run and great group of people to work with, but you know, you need to get down here and visit sometime too. I think we've, uh, we, we haven't seen you down here yet. I know you're uh, one, one of the guys in charge, so I think it'd be, it'd be awesome to have you down here as well. I'll bring Lily down next year. 
we'll eat some, some uh, I mean, as goofy as Austin has become in recent years, the brisket's still <laughs> off the charts. So I'm happy. To oh, man, there's still a few spots. Yeah, yeah. I, that was one of the first things I discovered. But the last little story, I guess, with brisket is um, I used to make an okay brisket at the fire station. You know, every, one of the uh, one of the best things you can do at a fire station is learn to cook, right? Because that, that makes you a uh, very useful person at the station. And also sometimes it gets you out of doing dishes, right? And so learn to cook. And so I used to used to do a brisket and it was all right. And then I came here in December of 2020, had uh, Terry Black's barbecue mm -hmm. and went home and realized I can I can never cook brisket again. No, I will never, ever get anything close to that. I can do it, you know, OK, right. For a couple of firefighters in Georgia that maybe not won't mind it. But I've, I've been to the mountaintop. I've been to, you know. The Holy Land, and I, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I ever want to try making it. Think. <laughs> yeah. Once you fly first class, it's hard to go back to coach, man. That's right. That's right. You know, and I, I can do coach good, but I don't. I don't know if I can do first class. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. All right, Mark. Well, thanks again. Talk to you soon, man. All right, buddy. All right, Thank you. you.